For so very long, it's been... Go on, George. Tell how it's gonna be. But in the end, the commission only said... We figured it 17 different ways. And every time we figured it, it was no good. Because no matter how we figured it... But no matter how you figure it out, I still don't get as much as anybody else. Somebody don't like the way we figured it. So now, there's only one way to figure it. And that is every man for himself. When this is the end. It's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Or is it now? As a new year hits, through it all, Beaver Nation moves ahead with resiliency and hope. Sun's up, mm hmm. Looks okay. The world survives into another day. And the way forward goes through, as it must, The Joe Beaver Show with John Warren and Mike Parker. A number of times I heard these guys' voices over and over and over. Still can't find it. Ah, can't find it? We can help. This here is 1240. 1240. It's always been 1240. My client says it's 1240. Yeah, plus 93.7 FM and streaming live at KEJOAM.com and on the KEJO app. It's the Joe Beaver Show. Well, never again will we have a guestless day. <laughs> we're, oh, we're kinda, I'm sure we will. <laughs> no, we probably will. Yeah. Kind of loaded up today with some excellent guests, but open phones at the moment and texts. Good morning, everybody. Mike Parker with John Warren. We will be joined by Megan Sheridan from the triumphant Oregon State volleyball team. She is an right-handed hitter, opposite hitter, a left-hander, a southpaw from Zionsville, Indiana, and a graduate transfer player on the team that just upset in Pullman. The number six Washington State Cougars and Jonathan Smith led his press availability yesterday with an acknowledgement of that fact. Good on Jonathan's part. So Megan will join us at 11.30. Steve Priest, the Hall of Famer, who made the trip to Tucson. He hasn't been traveling the past several years, but yeah. he was down in Tucson. And it's been a while since we checked in with one of the great Oregon State football players and personalities of all time, the great Hall of Famer Steve Priest. It's been a while since we've checked in with him. I look forward to talking to him about a lot of things. And he will join us at about 12.15, and then at 12.35-ish, 12.40, right in there, uh, Brian Howell of the Buff Zone. He has been covering Colorado football since 2010. And I'm sure that Brian, uh, we look forward to his perspective on what it's been like to cover Colorado football in 2023. <laughs> He's had all these previous years. How does this one compare and contrast 2023, let's say, with 2022? I would be interested <laughs> to know from his perspective. He's an excellent journalist does a lot of outstanding coverage on Colorado football. I learn a lot from him. Anytime the Beavs are playing the Buffs, he's a go-to guy. He's been on the show a couple of times. But he'll join us to talk about the phenomenon of Dion, what it's been like to be part of it, and just all the things that he's seen through the years in that program. But what this is like for him as an excellent journalist to be following the show that Dion is and, and the football team. And we'll talk about the matchup and all of that. But I certainly look forward to visiting with him uh, 
later today, about uh, 1235. Especially from the beginning, when they, Dion first came in, those first few uh, opportunities to talk with the coach and uh, you know how he was with the media when all that went down. And if he was one that uh, Dion had receipts for. <laughs> I doubt it. I doubt <laughs> it, just based on what I've, what I've read from Brian. I, do, I don't think so. I don't think there's anything Brian has written that would necessarily catch uh, Dion off guard and even to the point of saying, I've collected that receipt. We'll see, though. Brian will join us. One thing that Brian did say that I, I'm curious about, and, and I do know that it's a little, it's controversial in the sense of opposite viewpoints. Did we not? Is it not true that Jason, our boss here in the building, our, what exactly is his title? I know he's General boss. manager. General manager. Yeah. Thank you. Never, <coughs> never necessarily. <Grand> <laughs> Fred Flintstone vernacular. I've never uh, the the good line from Mark Rylance in the most underrated one of the more underrated Spielberg films that I've watched several times over now with great enjoyment. Bridge of Spies. Have you seen that, John? Uh, Tom Hanks, Mark Rylance, no, uh, Jesse Plemons, uh, the true story of the prisoner exchange when Gary Powers was shot. Dave is from it, Tumwater. Is it good? Really good. Tom Hanks? Really, really good. Okay. The, the acting, the script, the history, the story involved. But at one point, Mark Rylance, Rudolph Abel, the Soviet spy that was traded, a one-for-one change uh -huh. for Gary Powers, Francis Gary Powers, who was shot down uh, after doing some spying of his own. We we're going to talk a little bit about spying here today. Jim Harbaugh in Michigan, <laughs> Connor Stallions. But... In that, Mark Rylance, his boss in, in Russia, says something, and the USSR says something, and Mark Rylance's response, to the, so he is a spy from the Soviet Union, says, well, the boss isn't always right, but he is always the boss. <laughs> it's a good line. That is a great line. And so the boss came running in yeah. when you and I were... And I was saying, and I still say emphatically, that the Shiloh Sanders hit was clearly easily a targeting call. And he came running down the hall. Ah, yeah, I, that's wrong. I've watched it. And you brought up the video and showed him and showed him why I was right and he was wrong. And why all these people taking up for Shiloh and even arguing that, well, we ought to go back to football the way it used to be, which is a little bit of Shiloh's own. I miss old school football. Old yeah. school football. I, yeah, I kind of miss a little bit with Jim Wilson in the early days. What, did Al Afalava hit him too hard, <laughs> Jim would say? Because a flag would come out if a jolting hit occurred. I've worried about, like, even I think we had a guy this year for the Beavers on a safety or corner blitz come in and hit somebody really hard. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, right. I hope the right. flag doesn't come out because it's not targeting, but it's a pretty brutal, yeah. vicious even you well, can describe I mean, that the, hit. The sack was was a little that way. Catano Ladapo's yeah. controversial sack. It, it, he was under the armpit when he was grabbing him, but it kind of looked like he was yeah. just under the chin level in the chest, and and that was a such a bad call. Yeah, but Shiloh's hit was to me a classic. It, when you watch it, and please do if you've taped the game or want to bring it up, you can find it because a lot of people are writing about it. Dion called it horrendous in his halftime exit interview. 
Shiloh himself saying, if I miss old school football, which is almost an acknowledgement that, yeah, he hit the hit. He, he, you can talk about leading with a shoulder, whatever else. And I am on a bigger picture level, not just Shiloh versus Ryan and UCLA in that game. Is any part of you kind of an agree? Uh, do you agree with Shiloh and others who say, and there were other NFL Robert Griffin the third just said that's a ridiculous call. We're we, you know we're, well, what are we creating out here? I don't know. This is football. How are they not looking at it though? Because his Gosh, helmet crashed, crashed into. into the face mask. There's no there's no so, doubt about that. So by the rule, that's head to head, and it's vicious. He in led with his shoulder. His shoulder hit first. That may be the case, but his head smashed into the face mask. Yes, violently of, of the tight end. Violently. violently. So, by rule, that's targeting. Yes, and this leading with the shoulder, so what? Just because I lead with my shoulder, but I finish off crashing into you right. with my helmet, I, I deserve the flag. Right. I, I, I don't understand why they would, if they looked at it, you got to look at it a couple of times. Yeah. And I'm not even sure you need it to be in slow motion. That, that thing was clearly I, I targeting. I hadn't seen it in, yeah. I only saw it once live action. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it. I'm looking at it like, of course he did. It was head to head. And the helmet, the head yeah. flies back. So, so back in the day, to the comment of, you know, old school football, I don't know that that would have been a penalty, but there sure was spearing. You could not leave right. with the crown of your helmet. Right. That's what the old way was. This one might have passed because he, have. his head wasn't down. It could have. Yeah. It was more of the side of his helmet, side of it, with his head up. To the face mask, so it was helmet-to-helmet contact. So I think back in the old days, it would not have been a penalty. It would have been, you know, an ugly crash, but it wouldn't have been a penalty. Now it is because you can't go helmet-to-helmet in any way, shape, or form. And beyond that, just the whole nature of the game, has it been has it been softened up too much to the point? I mean, Sports Illustrated used to put out, if you subscribe to Sports Illustrated, we will send you as a bonus not only your subscription to the greatest sports magazine ever, but we'll send you the latest video from the NFL collision course where they, you know, they had the highlights <laughs> yeah, of the yeah, strongest, yeah. biggest hits, filthiest, nastiest hits in the NFL. I, I got that video. <laughs> and, and, oh, Me too. wow. Ooh, ah, ooh, wow. <laughs> are, do you miss those days? I think that's what Shiloh and maybe others are saying. Now, Shiloh doesn't miss the days, but maybe his dad has regaled him about those days. Although Dion himself was not one. He... He was a great cover corner. Yeah. He didn't have to hit people that often, and he there's even intimations that he shied away a little bit from that style of play. But could Jack Tatum, rest his soul, the late Jack Tatum, play in the game these days? No could Chuck way. Cecil play in no, the game these no, days? No. If they'd have to completely, completely modify their attacking target, I mean their their tackling style, they'd have to modify it. Yeah, to survive. I mean Tatum was a beast, and so was Cecil. Yeah. So they didn't they didn't leave with the crown, but but they sure used the helmet and used everything they could. So if you have any thoughts on that, as we go in our first segment of open phones, and won't have a lot of that today with the guests that I mentioned, but a quick quote from someone who whom I've revered most of my grown up life, and still read him with great pleasure here and there, not as much as. 40, 30, 40 years ago, but I I was reading an essay by C.S. Lewis on literary criticism, 
Now, this isn't, you know, the philosophical, theological stuff for what she's renowned and, and brilliant at, but a literary criticism piece. And he wrote this, quote, much is to be forgiven to a man in a corrupt profession in a corrupt period. The judge who takes bribes in a time or place where all take bribes may no doubt be blamed, but not so much as a judge who had done so in a healthier civilization. It's an interesting quote of yeah. a man who wrote a lot about ethics and morality and so on. Much is to be forgiven to a man in a corrupt profession in a corrupt period, quote unquote. Getting me now to Jim Harbaugh and how 94% of, of respondents to a Bruce Feldman, the athletic survey, mm-hmm. which that's all I've seen. Yeah. Uh, again, in the world we live in, okay, you see the headline and not much else. I've not had time to read the article preparing for Megan is Sheridan. That, is that the one I was doing? Yeah, it's okay. the one I asked you to print, see I if we can get that. that thing printed out. But 94% of the respondents to this survey by The Athletic conducted by Bruce Feldman say say that Michigan should be punished for this, for this whole spy, you know, mm-hmm. uh, uh, scout gate world of Connor Stallions and taking video and much of, as Romy has talked about and others, have come back with, well, everybody's doing it, that argument. <laughs> and it got, you know, got me thinking, is Lewis, if that's true, if that's true, then maybe what Lewis says, maybe the penalty shouldn't be terribly harsh or punitive if, quote unquote, it's shown or believed to be a common belief that, quote, everybody's doing it. Lewis seems to cut in a period if everybody's doing it, maybe... And it's like all the movies we've seen about corrupt cops on the take, and the guy uh-huh. that doesn't go on the take ends up being the one ostracized, right. a la American Gangster. Good film, by the way. Russell Crowe and Denzel. But Crowe doesn't go on the take and is ostracized and is a pariah amongst his fellow cops for not playing the game like everybody else does. Mm-hmm. been a lot of storylines and films along those lines. So. I'm just wondering, so do you cut a little more slack to the cops who are on the take? You think not. Lewis, in fact, does say the judge who takes bribes in a time or place where all are taking bribes may no doubt be blamed. Of course. But not so much as a judge who had done so in a healthier civilization. I'd like him to define when that was. (laughs) But the point being that there's a lot of talk now about this whole thing that you and I discussed, John, briefly the the little uh, bottle of of uh, l- medicine in Mark McGuire's locker, and a reporter oh, yeah. says, "What? What is that? What oh, that's the- just a supplement I take for ah. sore joints." And the the investigation was on, and McGuire and Sosa and others were caught in it. Somebody saying, "You know, this whole Connor Stallions deal and and the exit interview by Greg Schiano, something's <laughs> not right over right, there." Right, right, right. With a sideline reporter. Something, something's going on over there, and it isn't right. That and a few other things has opened the door to this major investigation, and 94% of coaches interviewed said they should be hit hard for this. Yeah. I, now, found, I found the article, by the way. Does If any of you have any sort of thoughts on that, feel free. Whatever may be on your mind, we've got a few minutes of open phones before we kind of transition into some special guests today, including Megan Sheridan from Volleyball, Steve Priest from Beaver Football uh, uh, Glory, and he was in Tucson, get his thoughts kind of about the state of the team and other aspects, and then Brian Howell from the Buff Zone in Boulder on the matchup and the phenomenon I look forward to that. of Dion. 
and Steve. Let's go to uh, Tom Water, who's out of the gate with some thoughts. Dave, good morning. Welcome to the Joe Beaver Show. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, like yesterday, I'm going to uh, start with a lighter item, uh, and that is the, uh, and even that's uh, not quite true. Looks like the Big 12 schedule is coming out today if it hasn't come out already. Drake Tolls uh, suggesting they're going to go to a four by four, in other words, four pods of four. So it looks like uh, we're destined in the short term for the Pac-2 Mountain West mm-hmm. Scheduling Alliance. I think that was always likely the case. I mean, I was holding out hope that something uh, might have emerged that could have slid us into the Big 12 on the shorter term, but that doesn't look like it's going to be the case. But that sets me up for my transition. I said yesterday I was going to move to the future, looking ahead to Colorado guys, but I can't quite get there yet because of a couple comments that were made in uh, actually three come to think of it that were said on the show yesterday I, I, I listened to the second hour on podcast uh, first Mike I want to elaborate at least from uh, share my own thinking what I was driving at with my concurrence with John about how last Saturday was the biggest game mm-hmm. in the history of, of, of beaver football it wasn't as I think you were trying to pose it that there was an expectation or even a desire that Oregon State make it to the Final Four. That really wasn't the substance of my thinking. Mine was actually more narrowly construed, really, to coincide with the legal calendar. The point was Oregon State, as the more more better position of the Final Two in the conference, needed to be in the biggest of all conversations for as long as possible. And as you two guys were saying, and I agree, if they had won last week, this week's game <laughs> would have been the biggest <laughs> game in the history, and so on and so forth, down through the line, for this very reason. It's not where Oregon State ended up in January. It's where they are in the National Strategic Conference discussion the second half of this November. That's why it was important that they that they that they they end up in the top ten. They stay in the discussion because, gentlemen, it seems to be it's self-evident. Their being in the top ten in the BCS poll is tremendous strategic leader uh, uh, positioning relative to conference realignment, both in the short term and in the intermediate, if not long term. So I just want to get that out. And second, Yes, before yes, you sorry. get to second, just a thought on that. There, there are probably a few people in the world the powers that be, so to speak, that heaved a sigh of relief when the Beavs lost Saturday. You know, I mean, because there have got to be some networks and some people and making decisions who who would have felt less comfortable had the be as the longer the Beavers stayed or Washington State or both stayed in a flirting with the top ten and in this kind of conversation, the more uncomfortable people would be. And that would have been a good thing for the Beavs, a great thing for the Beavs. I get I'm with you on that, Dave, all the way. So Yes. That's a that's a that's a brilliant point, Mike. You're absolutely right. It's kind of the flip side of the same coin, but I'm with you 100 percent on that. There were tons of people that were thankful Oregon State, and we know who they are. We don't even <laughs> need to waste breath yeah. and airtime talk. We know who they were. But there were two subsequent convert com- points of conversation yesterday uh, that I, I just had to shake my head, and I <laughs> and maybe I shouldn't name names. 
at least in the first case, in order to protect the, the innocent, as the old saying goes. <laughs> but the caller who called in and blamed the end of the first half on the players couldn't have been more off base. I mean, it just really stunned my sense of fairness and equilibrium that someone would blame the players and particularly the smallest guy on the field, Atticus Sappington, for not executing properly. Well, I, I was I, I was just stunned by by that assertion. Uh, maybe he's an insider with the program, but uh, I, I I I never have I been so provoked into disbelief that someone would actually call in and make that argument. But it was followed up. Now, I'm not going to ask you to comment on the caller. You can do that with me, but I'm not going to ask you to comment on that. Let let my my reflection on that just stand in the air. But we went from the ridiculous to the sublime to kind of reverse the old aphorism. Because you had a call in the second hour, I think by a guy named Dave. Actually, 50% of the people are talking about <laughs> Dave. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, so you, you, maybe you remember it, because his basic critique about play calling was, and I can only paraphrase it because I, uh, uh, I was doing something else, was the tendency of the, to, to innovate for the sake of innovation. And he invoked the Oregon game last year, and I would add, what I would call the Ryan Nall game mm-hmm. in 2015 or whatever it was, right. when Oregon when Oregon State ran it for, for for 20 times. But the giveaway, guys, is the Brian Lindgren interview on Beaver's Edge. At the heart of it, heart of which he says, "You've got a lot of calls to get. There's you have a lot of calls on the sheet. You need to get to, gentlemen. That right there." It's the crystallization of the problem. And as Dave or Doug or whoever was, he said, it's not, the objective isn't to get every play called on no. the sheet. No. Your, your objective is to, as someone once famously, famously said, you're in it to win the game. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I was almost equally stunned when I came upon that comment. So we'll move on to Colorado maybe tomorrow unless something else crazy comes up. But I couldn't let the 24 hours pass without chiming in on a few of these uh, consequential conversations that happened after I chimed off yesterday. Dave, good to hear from you. Thank you for the call. We need to take a break. We may play. I I think he's talking about Brian's media availability yesterday. I've only heard Dave, and that's the only part of it I've heard so far. Oh, so, we've got cuts. Yeah, we'll play the, the, the whole thing. Yeah, we'll play the scrum a little bit later. Maybe even after we interview our next guest, we'll play it around eleven forty-five ish, eleven fifty. Our next guest is on deck. She's Megan Sheridan from the Oregon State volleyball team, which just upset number six, Washington State in Pullman. Megan joins us next on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. K E J O twelve forty. Joe Radio. It was appropriate. Not necessarily unusual because he's done it before, but it was appropriate yesterday, or Monday, I should say now, when Jonathan Smith, yeah. after the, the football team's tough loss down in Tucson, opened his presser by congratulating the Oregon State volleyball team. The Beavers went to number five, Pullman. I think I said six earlier, but fifth-ranked Washington State and a five-set victory, a great team victory, a tremendous win for Coach Bahanek and her building program 
getting uh, uh, developing talent, but also entering the transfer portal and bringing in some players who could uh, provide immediate help. And our next guest certainly fits that category. It's a pleasure to meet for the first time Megan Sheridan, a graduate student, a Southpaw out of Zionsville, Indiana, who had a strong career at Butler, got two degrees from Butler in accounting and a master's in professional accounting, and got into the portal and came to the beautiful uh, Pacific Northwest for Vallis and the Oregon State Volleyball Program under Coach Bahonic's new leadership. It's a pleasure to welcome opposite hitter Megan Sheridan to the Joe Beaver Show for the first time. Megan, good morning. Congratulations to you and the team, and thanks for taking time for us. How are you today? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. What was the win like? We'll get to your own story in a moment, but did you kind of sense something building as competitive as you've been in a lot of matches this year to break through on the road against the number five team in the nation? What was it like to be part of that? Yes, it was such an exciting win for the team and just a really good moment for all of us to play together and figure out ways to um, score against a really good team. And I think it was just so much fun to play in that environment and come out with a win against a really good team. All right. First year over here from uh, after playing at Butler and your time here at Oregon State, it's been a little bit of an up and down year and it's a rebuilding process, but you guys have gone through some losing streak and winning streak. Um, just kind of give us a, an overview of, of the season from when it began to where you are now. Yeah, um, so we've played a lot of games. We've played a lot of really good games against some really good teams, and we've had some losses that, you know, were kind of really close games that we were fighting hard and just the results didn't go exactly our way. And I think um, one really good thing about this team is we've been able to persevere through those situations even when we're not getting the results that we wanted and come back and win really big games like this one that we won this weekend. So I think that's like just a good testament to um, how our team, you know, problem solved and figures out ways to kind of persevere and um, keep being competitive. Megan Sheridan joining us on the Joe Beaver Show. Megan, the transfer portal is all around us. Uh, I love some of the Fansville commercials or what happened. Well, he's gone into the portal. I, I find that just the term itself to be fascinating. You enter the transfer portal. Well, what happens when you're in there? Well, for you, you've experienced it coming out of Butler with the aforementioned two degrees. What, it, what led you here? Did it take us through your experience, if you would. Yeah, so after I finished my four years at Butler, um, I had some really amazing friends and teammates that made it really hard to leave, but I was kind of excited to have the opportunity to see another part of the country through playing a fifth year of volleyball at a new school. So I was primarily reaching out to schools that were um, far away, like somewhere I, I hadn't been before, like Oregon, and I was super excited to um, hear from Coach Lindsay Bohonek and have the opportunity to come out and see Oregon State. And once I was out here in Corvallis, just being at Oregon State and seeing, you know, there's it's super nice out here. There's It's a part of a country I've never been to, and there's so much to explore. And Oregon State's campus was super nice. The facilities are so nice. And I think just having that unique experience to come somewhere new and compete in the Pac-12 this year, it just was um, a perfect fit for me. So, okay, got to follow up then. 
Have you had a chance, I'm sure you were here early, well before school, to see things like the coast and the mountains and a few other things we have out here? Yes, actually this summer I got to do a few fun things. I got to go to the coast at Newport. I got to go to Cannon Beach and see Haystack Rock. Um, I went on the hike to the Blue Pool at the um, Camelich Falls. I'm not sure if you've been there, but um, that was the coolest thing probably that we did. Yeah. I've never, I've never been there, but I do news as well as sports. And unfortunately, I do news stories of people that it's such a long hike in that they get hurt yes. and then they need to be carried out. And so they're talking about saying you can't swim there anymore. But uh, anyway, yeah. it's just funny you mentioned that because I've, that has come up in the news a lot lately. But I'm sure it was beautiful, right? Yes, it was. And we, we had heard to be very careful because uh, the rescue is really really difficult there since it's such a far hike. I, you know, one thing that Mike and I, we love to do when we, we, we talk with a new athlete whom we haven't known or spoken to before is go to the personals because there's nuggets in there. So I see mom, Lisa played college volleyball and basketball. Dad, Bob played college basketball. Where did your parents play their collegiate sports? They played at St. Joseph's college. It's a division two school in Indiana. All right, that sounds good. And another thing that's interesting to me, graduated cum laude with a BS in accounting and a master's in professional accounting. So uh, you're pretty much really smart. What do you want to do? <laughs> what do you, you want to do when you graduate? When I graduate, I'm going to go back to Indiana. I have a job in Indianapolis working for a public accounting firm, um, Kat Sapper Miller, and I'm going to work in the audit practice there. Um, and I did an internship there a couple summers ago and just really enjoyed working in public accounting and working with some really great people. Well, my wife works at Deloitte, a big four, and I was going to help you out there, but oh, it yeah. sounds like you're already <laughs> set up, so you're good to go. <laughs> Thank you. We're joined by Megan Sheridan from the Oregon State volleyball team. So you already have a plan. That's tremendous. This is then an experience to come out to a different part of the country and the world how does the volleyball compare? The Pac-12, which we know is now the Pac-2, and you know, who knows what the <laughs> ultimate destination is, but how does it compare style-wise, anything else, to what you experienced in, at Butler? Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities and differences. Um, I just really love being able to play at so many schools that I've like watched in the past, and like I've you know grown up watching the Pac-12, and seeing all these huge schools that I kind of looked up to and hoped like maybe one day I'd be able to play at that level too. And it's just cool that now I have that opportunity to get to go to all these super cool places in my last year and play some really good competition. Um, it's, there's a lot of similarities to what I, what I played out at Butler in the big East. Um, but I think, um, yeah, it's just, well, you know, yeah, it's still I volleyball. Just, but. It, is just vo it is volleyball, like yeah. all sports, no matter where you play them, football, basketball, baseball, volleyball. I mean, there are going to be a lot of similarities, but people often in other sports will talk about, well, the Big Ten style of football or this so-and-so style yeah. of basketball. I just wonder, in the Big East, if if a match there has qualitative differences that you would say, well, out here, what I've noticed is we play thus and so a little bit more than maybe we did in the Big East. I just wonder if you, as a longtime player, see any sort of qualitative differences in how matches are played. I think maybe one thing that I've noticed is 
um, the pins, the outsides and right sides get set a lot more. Where in the Big East, I think the middles had a little bit more of a presence than they do. Um, that might be, it's kind of a pin heavy conference, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then maybe one other thing would be there. I kind of remember having a lot more rallies last year. Um, there's still some rallies this year, but I think uh, a lot of times it's like one team kind of gets a side out pretty quickly. Um, there's just a lot of really strong hitters in the conference, I think. Okay. Now, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but you are a graduate student. You already have two degrees. I concur with John. You're a smart one. We're <laughs> pro- you know, congratulations. You. What have you been doing academically here at Oregon State? Yeah, I'm doing a business certificate here at Oregon State. It's just six classes of business, um, just kind of simple business classes. A lot of them I've taken before, um, but I just kind of wanted a little bit of a review and something that would be um, not as challenging in my last year and kind of just was a little bit more focused on volleyball this year, but um, was excited to have the opportunity to get kind of a new outlook on business at a new school. The final thing with Megan Sheridan, only because, as John mentioned, and when we have the honor of visiting with student-athletes in any sport here, we do try to, you know, if we have the time and the wherewithal to get a little information going into the conversation. In your bio page at Butler, hobbies, it said hobbies. Jogging, I think it said. <laughs> now, now your bio page at Oregon State lists traveling, walking, shopping, and Vlogging, vlogging, not jogging. <laughs> yes. So I'm just wondering, did you give up jogging for vlogging? I mean, how or did, was it a typo? <laughs> <laughs> What's up? Yes, um, I did start making a lot of videos on TikTok when I got to Oregon State. Um, kind of anything from volleyball to travel to just day in the life videos. Like I made a video when I went to the football game at Oregon State, and I really enjoyed doing that and making those videos and getting a chance to be creative on TikTok. It's been, it's been fun. And so does that include then your aforementioned travels around the state? Did you post some things about the places you were able to go when you first got out here? Yes, mm-hmm. I did. I, I did some posts about um, when we went to Cannon Beach mm-hmm. and uh, the Blue Pool. Yeah, it was fun to make those. Did you get in the water at Blue Pool? I did. <laughs> how, cold, how cold is it? I mean, what, what kind of shock to your system was it? I think they said it was around 30 degrees. <laughs> oh. It, it was, yeah, I got in and I got right out. Well, right. I, I yeah, just, that's. I, I was like, we've hiked so far. I don't want to just look at it. Like, I feel like I have to get in. Yeah. So I did jump in. Oh. But, um. I definitely got right out because it was so cold. Were you, I hope you had, I mean, did the whole team or the people that went on the walk all say, yeah, we're doing this together. We've come this far. Were you the only brave soul? I was the only brave Uh, soul. Congratulations. for you. Yeah, for you. (laughs) Hey, Megan, it's a real pleasure to meet you. What's next for you guys uh, after the big upset in Pullman? What's up now? Uh, This weekend, we have two games at home. We're playing Colorado and Utah, and... Sunday is our senior day, so I'm excited for that. Will your folks come out? Yes, they you've, are coming this weekend. And you've already had one at Butler, right? <laughs> yep. Okay. Yeah, so I get to celebrate again, which is exciting. That's great. Hey, it's a real pleasure to meet you, Megan. Thanks for making time for us. Have a great weekend at home. Congratulations on the big upset and what uh, you and the team and, and uh, you're all building here together. We appreciate your time. Good luck this weekend.
Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Thank you. Megan Sheridan, our guest. Nice kid. Yeah. Blue pool. I, I, uh, it yeah. seems like it's come up more lately. I've never been there. Have you? No, I only know it because in the morning, in the summertime, yes. I'm reading these stories about rescues. I know. And there were so many, and it's so hard for rescue teams to yes. get in there. They're literally talking about, or they've already decided, I can't remember. It's been a while since I've mm-hmm. done the story, to shut it down for, for swimming. Yeah. Is it swimming or just getting there? I think you, you can't really shut down the trails. I think it's going to be no more swimming there. Well, I guess uh, Megan got in just ahead of that, <laughs> That's right? Right. although I wouldn't probably call what she did swimming no. any more than what I no. do, jogging or vlogging or slogging <laughs> or whatever else these days. You but, do. I, I did not know that vlogging was making like TikTok TikToks. or whatever mm-hmm. videos. I thought vlogging was when you have an account and you sit there and you, you talk about things for a really long, video. long time. Apparently, vlogging may have that. Because blogging was yeah, writing was writing a lot mm-hmm. of stuff, and then prior to that, it was basically making a journal. <laughs> so then, you you this one gal I work with, oh you you're so funny, you got a lot to say. You should do a blog when they came out. Yes, twenty years ago, yeah, yeah. like ah, I don't have time for that. And then they become vlogs, which I thought was just some you know you sit there and. Lecture everybody on whatever it is you were going to blog, <laughs> which is what you would right. have journaled. Yeah, and uh, yep. but like, apparently, just making any video, how long or short, is is it, vlogging it comes comes under the canopy of vlogging. Yeah, I think what we need more than anything else. Kramer once wrote a coffee table book about <laughs> coffee tables. <laughs> I think we need we need a podcast about podcasts. About podcasts. Yeah, yeah. we we don't have enough podcasts in the world. <laughs> we will take a break and uh, wrap up hour number one. We have Steve Priest and Brian Howell next hour. If you, anything you'd like to jump in with, please do. 497-5356 on Joe Radio. <laughs> I remember um, one of the first times I was calling a JV, a Cottage Grove High School JV game. Yeah. In 1975. Eric oh, Campbell was my. I was yeah, 10. I know. So was I. <laughs> Got an early start. I was calling a JV football game on a Thursday night. And the head varsity football coach in the booth next to me, the legendary Clive McDonald, military historian, teacher, beloved coach and teacher. We all love Mac. Clive McDonald in the booth and then yeah. in the booth next door. I'm doing the play-by-play into this little handheld, big old silver handheld microphone. <laughs> and and at one point, the official in a JV game on a Thursday night makes a call. And I remember that maybe this is where I got my sense of empowerment. I'll blame it on Mac, on Clive McDonald, <laughs> because he's in the booth next door. And he just yelled out of the booth at this Curran Field and Cottage Grove booth. He just starts yelling, no, 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 you are very wrong. You are very wrong. You are very wrong. That is a brutal call. Brutal. That's what you do. Well, well my teacher, my coach, my mentor, See, my example. He, he made it so look blame like it's, it on Coach it's McDonald. Okay. It's okay yeah. to do that. And that's, I mean, I thought, well, and I took the microphone and said, that's a brutal call. <laughs> so. That's funny. I I've feel like no, that's before. that that was a new one here. Yeah. There aren't many new ones, but that <laughs> right. was a 
a news story that got me when you were reading CVB's excellent text on a number of points. But part of me feels like going Clive McDonald CVB with due respect. No, no, no. You are very wrong. Yeah. Okay. Let's get to the point. Point by point. I hope you'll take this in the proper spirit CVB. You want me to start with the last one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. You're still being distracted by the McGuire supplement. The the still catches me because this is the first time. Maybe he's written before about it and you've not we've not seen it so the still part caught me immediately but i'm not oh, i think he means because you're bringing it up well again. i bring it up again but still did he write about it sooner mike you're being distracted and then i bring it up again and he says you're still so that's all i'm saying to oh, that. i haven't read the language the that. rhetoric yeah, yeah yeah okay but um, i'm saying to you first i'll just stop still being distracted no i'm not because it's an example because i'm saying whether androstein dione a bottle of it or whatever a supplement that's legal and still being used and was legal then and is legal now and mm-hmm. you think it might have been a prop whatever the case cvb i'm not wrong about that being the beginnings of the trickle of investigation right. that's right, it right, right not that he was using anything illegal or th- then but it got people beginning to poke around on it. Yeah, that I, comment by the reporter seeing the bottle of Androstein Dione in McGuire's locker in '98 began. Yeah. The, huh. I wonder what's going on there. That's it. Yeah. So still being distracted. Well, I think I'm right about that. And if the, you went back and yeah, looked that's at right. the storyline, no, 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 the example, the usage okay. of it is to say this is where this whole thing began, not whether or not <laughs> yeah. the, it's the the the, uh, the McGuire argument. Right. That, okay. So what's next? Years ago, <laughs> Clive McDonald. What's next? Uh, way back when. Here it's. Okay, today. Helmet to helmet? or Was it crown, question mark? No, side of the helmet, so not targeting. Well, it is targeting. That, that's actually CBB, not, that's not a correct. Hel- any helmet to helmet hit, side or crown, is, con- is right. targeting. So helmet you, to helmet. If you're coming up on a guy and you turn your head and the, the back or the back corner, let's yeah. say, of your helmet hits the, yeah. the back of his helmet, you're the defender, you are flagged for it because two helmet shells Yes. Crashed into each other. It, that's so CVB again, <laughs> Co- Coach McDonald gently. You, you, you're wrong. That's and, targeting. That call, period, targeting. Easy. Here's another one. I I'm, uh, could have argued he had not gone from helpless receiver or defenseless. to a, to a, right, defenseless to a runner yet. It wasn't much harder hit than our quarterback's blindside block on a reverse against Washington. Which is now illegal. Uh, that's now no longer allowed. That was a crackback block against a defenseless player. No longer allowed. That's an illegal call. So, again, CVB, with due respect to a great texture and Beaver fan, I think wrong on all three counts. <laughs> My still being distracted by Andrustine Dione, that, that that wasn't targeting when it was. And third... The the Lyle Moival Grayson Gunheim contact play in 2007 is not relevant here, in the sense of whether the hit was harder or dirtier or filthier. Moival's was worse in that sense, in terms of the overall legality of things. Now we celebrated it at the time and thought it was one of the more brutal hits and blocks. It would have made a Sports Illustrated subscription video. It was that that kind of a hit. It was profound, physical and brutal, and maybe even still. Oh, wow. That was a great, tough play by Lyle Moybow, but it would not be allowed today. But to me, that's a comparison that doesn't fit whether or not Shiloh Sanders targeted the tight end for UCLA, which he did. All right. Stephen Newberg writes in and says, to add to today's comments by my friend Tumwater, I remind us that Jonathan recently admitted that he was 
champing at the bit to make a certain call. Game planning may involve diagramming plays, but successful game management depends on awareness of the situation and not forcing the execution of a list of planned plays. Right. right. I I always thought that those charts that they make only last for like the first drive. Do we have Coach Lindgren? Can we bring him up? Yeah. And we said we would, and I'd kind of like to hear the context in which... Yeah. And by the way, CVB, feel free to text back your three rebuttals to my saying you're wrong. <laughs> Did anything I say make any sense to you, or do you just utterly disagree? So I think you're wrong in all three counts. You must think I'm wrong in all three, which is fine. The world goes on. We can live together and be... Uh, in harmony. Yeah, and uh, friends and fans and go bees together the rest of our lives, even if we disagree on those somewhat minute points in the overall scheme of things. Do you have Is this Coach Lindgren from yesterday? Yeah, but I, I don't know how it starts. Okay. I don't know if there's chitter chatter. That's all right. Let's he- let's hear a little it's bit of it. Down into Brian one and Brian two, and Brian one is four minutes long. Okay. Well, we have time to get it in right now. Mm, let's go with ninety percent of it. Here we go. Okay. The deep. I don't know, deep passing it. 15 yards down the field or more. Statistically, it's there this year more than it's been under you in six years. Uh, does it feel like that, statistically, anyway, does it feel like that to you, too, when you're, when you're calling plays, that you're able to do more in that, in that realm? Yeah, I think it, uh, it, anytime you have some success like that, uh, you, you um, get some more confidence in, in calling it more. And uh, I think it's a, it's a tribute to the players, the execution. The line's been doing a nice job holding up and then... Um, you know, we've got some speed on the perimeter to be able to, you know, the defense overplaying the run and get those guys running away from people down the field. And uh, that's one of DJ's, you know, strengths as a quarterback is accuracy in the deep ball. So it's, it's, uh, um, it's been good to see it come along. And I, I still think it can grow as we, as we move yeah. forward. We know about DJ and the, and the speed at receiver. What, what's the importance of the offensive line in terms of how they've come along in, in this process to get the deep ball going? Yeah, I think it's, uh, for a lot of us, it's mirroring the run in the pass and, and uh, those guys coming off the ball and, and getting the defensive line to feel like it's a, it's a run play. Um, I think it, it helps them in protection, not necessarily having to protect quite as long, but those guys doing a great job of selling it um, and then keeping low pad level and moving their feet um, and continuing to work because sometimes those routes take a little bit of time to develop. How do you balance the... You know, since you want to go down and feel more and you have the ability, how do you balance that with the running game that's been so successful the last few years? I assume you don't want to get away from that, do you? No, you definitely don't. Um, it's, uh, and then there's also trying to mix in some, some quick or intermediate pass game uh, to try to get the quarterback a little bit of rhythm. So that's the, the tricky part. I think last game, man, I think we only had nine series, um, you know, to where you're not getting necessarily a ton of play calls and you got a lot of calls on the sheet that you want to get to. Sometimes it can be tricky, but, um, yeah, we definitely we definitely want to get the ball in the hands of, of Fenwick and, and Damian. Um, those guys do a nice job, and that's that's what we do. We like to run the ball. But do you feel like you, you're, you're able, you've been able to do that? Yeah, I feel like we, we want to be balanced and we want to be able to keep the defense off balance by changing it up. And uh, we just want to mix it up, you know, mix it in some runs, mix it in some passes, and keep those guys off balance. Someone that worked in Boulder, what's it been like just seeing the transformation over there in Colorado? Uh, man, I mean, they're, they've been sold out. I mean, watching the film, the place looks packed. A lot of energy, a lot of juice behind it. And that, that place is, uh, that's a pretty cool spot when you get that stadium full and the fans excited about it. We had it going a little bit in 2016. It was, it was a, a fun, uh, just a fun atmosphere to be a part of. So I'm excited to go back and see it. 
What did you see on third down offensively this week, and how can that be a little more successful this upcoming week? Uh, I just think th too many uh, third and longs, you know, just not, not being efficient enough on first and second down. Whatever defense you're playing, you get yourself into third and seven plus. Um, your percentages go way down. And, um, you know, I think in the end, I think we were six of 12, which is 50, and it's solid, and we, we'd love to be a little bit higher than that. And, um, but to me, it literally stood out as um, just being a little bit more efficient on first and second down, putting ourselves into more of those third and shorts where we can, you know, lean on, have the, the threat of run and pass. A very good football coach, quarterbacks, offensive coordinator, Brian Lindgren. The, 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 the part that is sort of um, in focus was Dave's call about hearing that about there's a lot of calls on the play sheet you you want to get to. Was that the term? Or? Yeah. Okay. Now, all coaches, ask Dabo Sweeney, ask anybody, every word that the coaches say, we, we parse it, we break it down. <laughs> what did he mean by this? What, what did this mean? Uh, inflection mean this work. Mm -hmm. So I'm not exactly sure all that Brian was driving at there, but I do agree with the basic premise that he didn't look for balance late against Oregon last year. <laughs> he just kept handing it off. It's working. Stay with it. We've got an hour to go. Testing, testing, one, two, three, four. In these contentious times... Sir, you've asked a simple-minded question. I will give you an equally simple-minded answer. We invite you to escape for the next couple of hours into the world of The Joe Beaver Show with your hosts, John Warren and Mike Parker and occasionally Doug Blair. All right, men, we're not here to sell lemonade. We're here to practice. No one breaks it down any better. Old Indian game. It's called, uh, put the ball in the hole. Uh, so what are these little arrows? Let Joe Beaver be your guide into the bold new world of technology. Uh, radio. That's going to break down a lot of walls. Yes? The door is wide open. Recreation time, gentlemen. So come on in. Be a part of the Joe Beaver Show on the home of the Beavers, 1240 Joe Radio. That's, Seriously? That's the gist. That's not the word for word. But yeah, I mean, it sticks out like a sore thumb in the paragraph. Well, maybe that's what the last um, text yeah. about. Thank you. Thanks Go for ahead having Megan that. on today. Thanks for having Megan on today. She was great. It took my mind off the pending end of our existence in Power 5 football. Can't believe we blew that game in Arizona. Well, that, so, there's a lot within that little right, text. Right. Who's that from? Steven in Newburgh? Uh, Steven? Yeah, Steven Newburgh. Okay, so... That no 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 this is from someone else oh but I don't know who okay um so yet yesterday I think it was I was at home scrolling through uh, you know KAJO Twitter and uh, somebody had posted this thing and they said well this isn't good I mean this is like well this is the worst news I've seen in forever yeah during this whole time yeah one of the ma main Beaver fans that are that I follow mm -hmm. or we follow on our our website um. So I read the, the link, and it's basically a letter from the president, Washington State's Kirk Schultz. Now, I, I kept looking everywhere on this for a date. You have to look at the date of articles because sometimes headlines will suck you in. And you think it just happened, but it was from months ago. And I'm yes, learning that in that's news. true. That's true mm -hmm. in news, but you got to do it in sports too. And I thought, well, maybe this was back in August, August 5th. <laughs> right, right. And, <laughs> right. and I'm thinking, okay, because it does not match the fire and the rhetoric, we've and heard rhetoric from them. that we've heard from them 
combined with Oregon State, the powerful four, <laughs> President Murphy, President Schultz, Athletic Director Scott Barnes, and Patrick Chun, it doesn't match. So let me just read a little bit of it. I won't read the whole Do thing. Do we know the date yet? No, there's no date on here, but but um, I saw it and read it, and then the tweet that I saw was just you know, like at the time yesterday was like an yeah. hour ago, and then uh, Nick uh, Nick Yashel reposted it. Okay, this. so he he highlighted so, a paragraph from within. No, a letter. I'm I'm looking at the paragraph. Oh, the paragraph that a paragraph from a letter that Kirk Schultz sent to donors or season ticket holders or uh, who's it? It must to? be. It must be because I mean there, it's official. It's Washington State yeah, yeah. and his okay. picture and all that. It's just a matter of what was the date on this release. It's like Washington State Cougar Magazine or something like that by Kirk Schultz. Okay, but Cougar Magazine. If I that's, don't know no, what it I, is. I know, but I'm going to keep, I, I'm going to fight the fight with CVB and others to the end. <laughs> Sometimes when you want to know details, it's annoying as hell. I, and I apologize. I, it doesn't matter because it's a picture with him and it's written by him. Okay, it does matter though. Okay, because why? Because of the point you brought up. When was it written? Well, see, if that's it's true. Washington State Cougar Magazine, that quote, that letter could have been from two months ago. Well, look at the. Well, you can't see it's it. It's possible. There's a banner above it that says Winter 2023. Okay, which is well, now. then that's now. So that's this now. is more current than I'd like to believe. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, what? Yeah, yeah. What do you got? Well, I'm sorry to be annoying. As heck. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I, I that is a. That was a line between you and me as a term of endearment. I, I know. There's, anyway, I'm just, because I'm grasping for hope. I, I don't want to hear what, I, I don't want to hear what you're about to read. I know you don't. But in it, the context. All right. Many people feel like their heads are spinning with all the changes in college sports. For me, more has happened in the last two years than the previous 20 years of my career around collegiate athletics. Not only have all the Pac-12 schools left the conference except Washington State and Oregon State, there's conference realignment nationally, recent name, image, and likeness changes to support our student-athletes, and new college sports transfer rules. During this whirlwind, there are a few things I'd like to share with Cougar Nation. First, this is, this is the paragraph. Okay. First, it's really important for Washington State to chart its own path forward. When I was reading this the first time, I thought this was going to be a declaration of separation from us. Okay. But it wasn't. Oh, okay. It wasn't. It's really important for, the, for uh, Wazoo to chart its own path forward. While the current state of the Pac-12 conference was not a situation of our making, we refused to let it define us. We're move, we've moved forward with legal action and plans to secure our athletics future with the assistance of an advisory committee I appointed. We already know a few things, and here it is. We are not going to spend the same amount of money on athletics that we have for the last decade. We will still be competitive, but it'll be different than when we had the smallest athletic budget in a Power 5 conference. I mean, it goes on. Okay. But well, that's the, that was the key <clears throat> point. We are not the same amount of money as we have the last decade. Okay. Now, when this whole thing came down in August, within, I believe, a week, he was on record as saying, we are going to move forward as, a, as if we are a Power 5 school and there will be no changes. So here we are, after all that feisty rhetoric. Right. And Having that kind of paragraph being yeah, that read is a, on the Joe Bieber That is show. a little bit disturbing. And it's them, but where are they versus where are we? And do both ADs yeah. have the same? You know, are Scott, they on the same Scott page? Scott has said, yeah. And uh, Scott, early in the process, was saying things like, "Whatever the case about television contracts and all." This was even before the full implosion. I think, as we were still waiting to hear 
directive uh, before we're waiting to hear details about whatever sort of television contract George was trying to deliver. I think Scott, even then, or maybe right around then or right afterwards, said, whatever the case, we know it's not going to be as much, mm-hmm. which I just wonder is a different way what Schultz is saying, although that's a little more definitive. Schultz saying we're not going to be spending as much. Right, right. But I'm hoping that that isn't the final end all word based on whatever may happen in terms of what assets are available and how they're allocated and who al- who gets. Is it a pack two that gets to divide right. a lot? Maybe. Maybe there could be the opportunity for him to say what I wrote to you in Washington State Cougar Magazine and got everybody on the Joe Beaver Show a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> well, the situation's a little better than we thought. I think he's just kind of preparing the way. We may indeed have I, to tighten things up even more than we already That's why have. this is scary. I know. Because it may be... Uh, uh, yeah, does um, it give g- a glimpse g- of... It may be, right, be giving in to maybe some things they know that we don't know yet about what, what's really in what, the coffers. Yes, and what we really may get out of all of this in the end. That may be <sighs> a way not. of hinting at that, which we hope not. Let me just uh, yeah. go through it real quickly on the rest of it. He says, we already know a few things. We're not going to spend the same amount of money. Okay. The next paragraph, but I want to remind Cougar fans that we'll still have division one athletics. We'll still compete for championships and have football Saturdays. We'll still show up every day on the court and in the classroom. The opponents will be different. And even if we don't know the future of the apple cup, the resolute Cougar spirit, hopefully will only grow stronger. There's more, but I have to get, okay. Yeah. We need to take a break. Steve uh, priest is up next. So I don't know who's calling, but we may have an opportunity later, if not to uh, today, maybe tomorrow, uh, to get back into more calls and texts. But Steve Priest does join us next, I believe, uh, unless that's him saying, no. Oh, well, what's he got? Let, yeah, let's bring him in real quick. If he can do something real quick, let's do it. Mike in Seattle. Mike, thank you for the call. We've got Doc Priest, Steve Priest next. What do you got for us, Mike? Thanks for the call. Yeah, so Ian Furness, who I know is around the Oregon yes. market, who is a Coug, he released some of that information yesterday. So I think it's pretty timely. He had it both okay. on Q13 TV and also on his Twitter timeline and on KGR. And then Jason Puckett and Jim Moore also talked about it this morning. In the state of Washington, there is a lot tougher law on, uh, on athletics and schools that are in the state system, that they have to be more outright and forthcoming uh, and not use a bunch of, of kind of mumbo-jumbo words about the finances of intercollegiate athletics. And they've had to go to their trustees and the state and, and, and be very open. So I think this is Kurt Schultz, again, pulling off the Band-Aid and saying he's taking the word I hope and I mm-hmm. and if, and if and when, and he is saying there's going to be less Mm-hmm. Money coming in, right? And as as the number twelve income school in the old Pac twelve, it's going to get a lot worse before it gets better, irrespective of the lawsuit okay. and, all, and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's what that is. You you should talk to Furness. You could probably get him on. That's a good talk idea. That's a good idea, Mike. Thank you. Ian Furness would be a good guest. Let's and a great one is just around the corner. Steve Priest coming up on the Joe Beaver Show on Joe Radio. We continue on the Joe Beaver Show. Mike Parker, John Warren, and OSU Hall of Famer Steve Priest, who was uh, on location in Tucson at Arizona Stadium and wanted to get Steve's eyes. I know watching on television, as he does when he doesn't travel, he, you can learn a lot and, and study and all of that. But to see him there, knowing he was there, that made me feel so much 
better just to have him there for yeah. one, but two, to ask him thus coming back what he saw, what he thinks in this matchup with Colorado. So we'll get into all of that now with one of the all-time Oregon State greats and a good friend of Beaver Nation into our show through the years. Steve Priest, good afternoon, Steve. Thanks for the time. How are you today? I'm fine, thanks. And hi to Mike, or to Mike and John. Thank good you, to Steve. Talk to you both of so what did you see? I mean, there's a there's so many ways we could attack the Beaver-Arizona game, and some fans have attacked it <laughs> in some respects <laughs> in social media and so on. What are your thoughts, Steve, about what we all experienced down there? Well, what I saw first was that Arizona has really improved. The new coach, new now, three years, has just done a phenomenal job. He's brought in a ton of guys off the portal. Um, they look solid in almost every position. Um, I, I felt like I, I knew because I'd watched them on film a couple of times that they'd much improved, but I, I really didn't understand the difficulty of, of their offense um, until I saw it in person again and saw how much it resembled like the Washington State, you know, the old run and shoots and the air raids and those where, um, you know, you, you're tough to put pressure on them. These did put four sacks on them, and that, that's pretty good for a team that throws like that. But I was... I was most of all impressed with Arizona. I, I thought they played very well, and, and I thought the Beavers were doing everything they needed to and, until you know about the end of the third quarter, and it started to fall away from them. How, here's one of the things, Steve. Let's just jump right into it. it certain games can have an uneven kind of feel. I, what did you make of, of the overall approach offensively for the Beavs and the shots downfield and then the various things that, that we saw unfold in offense and maybe even a move away from, from running it as much as it felt like maybe you, you were going to try to do against them? Well, they were allowing you know, 90 yards a game. So, I mean, it wasn't that we didn't try early. We just weren't getting in the size holes we wanted. Okay. So we backed off a little bit, um, you know, to, presuming that they're – bringing a lot of people, and they were. Um, I, I felt like that, that things weren't, if we completed a couple of the passes that we should have, um, I mean, DJ is always one of the first to admit when he didn't have the game of his life, and he didn't, and he's the one or two other times he's had a day like that, he's quickly brought it to the attention of people. He's you know, a great teammate in that regard, a great leader in that, in that regard, but you know, we missed, a, I thought, a short touchdown to Damian Martinez. We, we missed another one that was tipped at the end. Um, we made a couple of mistakes um, on that side. But I, I felt like, uh, you know, my overall feeling was we were ready to play that game. Uh, last week when I was at practice, I felt like, you know, this is an away game that we know we have to win. Um, they're going to be ready for this one. And it won't be like some of the other away games where they kind of sleepwalk into it, which is, you know, surprisingly, that's what they do because they don't prepare any different than, than they do for home games. Um, I mean, I see them almost every week, and they, they do the same things. It's just, uh, you know, the, the excitement of Oregon State's home crowd must change them because it really does a lot of things to play them to, to help their play. Um, you know, there, there were offensively, um, there, there were a lot of good things that happened. Um, they just missed a couple of passes that would have changed the game. And, and of course, the, the field goal before the end of the half uh, was a, you know, a big deal. It was something that, you know, in retrospect, uh, I sure wouldn't have called. Uh, but Jonathan in that situation was looking for a spark. 
Um, I, I'm not sure he, he really got the gravity of no timeouts left and, and one chance at getting 20 yards um, because he immediately after the game said, no, it was, it was a complete mistake. I shouldn't have done that with that close and no time to call. Um, and and it, that hurt us a big time, but, you know, there were other things between the penalty, the big penalty on Aladapo that cost us maybe two touchdowns, um, and and just what was going on with the missed passes and some of the inaccuracies. Steve Priest, our guest here on the Joe Beaver Show. Steve, with my little to no knowledge, uh, this is weird when you say it, it's like oh the coaches know a thousand times more than we'll ever know. Yeah, I, I understand that. I've heard you and Jim talk in the in the uh, the the the, uh, the, the box and talk like football ease, and it's like, what are they talking about? Because it's a different level. But I still want to say as a fan and as an observer, am I wrong to want to see more man-to-man? Because it seems like every receiver games catch the ball, and then the next thing you see is a beaver trying to catch up to them, where the answer from a coach might be, well, you know, you're supposed to rotate over on this play, and that guy's supposed to cover there. And I've heard this in basketball, and you want to say, well, Let's get away from the supposed tos because they're not doing it and make a play or design a defensive setup, which I, in this case would be man, so that they're on them already. And then, then, then you're talking about just man on man, play on play. Am I wrong about that? No, absolutely right. It's my way of thinking the way you stop an offense that throws the ball quickly, like we described earlier, like the old run and shoots and air raids and all the things, and exactly like this Arizona team, they threw, I think, seven quick screens. Mm-hmm, seven yep. screens. Yep. You know, and, and so nobody has a chance to get them. And I think every one of them must have averaged eight yards of play, too. But the, the biggest problem there, because we did get pressure on them, our, our pressure has been good all year. To get four on a team that does that is pretty good. But I, I would submit that our problem right now um, with our coverage is – Number 21, Noble Thomas. Number 25, Tyrese Ivey. Number one, Ryan Cooper. Three guys who have been playing. I mean, that's two starting positions. Yeah. Um, haven't been playing. And those are, uh, Ryan Cooper's one of our best mm-hmm. man-to-man guys. You know, you, you take him, him with Jaden Robinson, and you've got two guys, our two best corners. Yeah. Um, Jamad McCoy, who's a freshman, is doing, doing really well. Joe Swen's playing behind him. He's a redshirt freshman. Um, you know, on the other side, you got Josiah Johnson, who's a redshirt sophomore. Um, and and we we had number twenty seven this time. Uh, I can't even remember his name now. But he was on the three deep. Yeah, well, that was the one you were looking up. Andre Jordan Jr. out of Federal yeah. Way. Yeah. Well, and today, Steve, we learned I'm, I'm that Ivy's out. Yeah, and today, Steve, we learned that Ivy's out for the yes. rest of the year. Which, uh, unless yeah. they get to a bowl game, well, he'll come back maybe for the bowl game, yeah. yeah. Well, you just, you know, John, your, your comment was right. You, you just can't take a team that throws the ball quickly and gets rid of it quickly and, and let them have an opportunity to throw downfield six, eight yards every time they want to um, with nobody in between them. And you have to go up and st- put your nose on them, and you just have to be able to do that to, to stop the quick pass. And I, I'm hoping that they'll just trust these young guys as it goes longer and, and that they will get better and better, and um, this will be resolved. But right now, um, we're playing with without three guys that we really could have used. Steve, as you talk about the defense a little bit, too, tackling this year doesn't seem to have been as, as uh, solid, right? I mean, you just... 
It's been an issue that's come up that uh, Coach Bray has addressed, Jonathan's addressed. How do you, in a sense, address it with us on the Joe Beaver Show, what you've seen in that realm? Is that also personnel-driven? Yeah. Uh, in no, your view? That's just not, that's not tackling. Um, it, you know, John, Mike, the, tackling's harder nowadays than it used to be because you can't hit with your head. You know, you, you've got, you can't lead with your head, and, and you can't hit people in a certain place. And, you know, they used to say if you don't hit them in the, in the middle of their body with your head, you're likely to miss because good backs can move right to left. And we just don't tackle well right now. And um, they, that last year's group, they could tackle. There are some guys on this that are really solid tacklers. I mean, I look at Garten and some guys that have played a while, and they know how to wrap up, and they know how to keep their feet. I see a lot of guys, particularly at linebacker and in the secondary, and I think it, maybe it's youth, um, that they leave their feet on every tackle. And you just can't do it. you got to you know, sometimes take a little punishment to give a little punishment. And you can't miss. That's, that's what you're supposed to do. And we have missed, for four, I think, four straight weeks. Um, we've really given up to give people opportunities to make their running game work because of our tackling, not our scheme. Our scheme's been there. People have been in the right place to tackle, and we've missed tackles. I call it arm tackling, a lot of reaching, and then they, they just yes. they run, they run through it. Absolutely. You're, you're dead on. Um, okay. The, what's the philosophy then? First of all, what are the NCAA rules? Can they tackle in practice at all once the season starts? No, they just, they, if, if they can tackle at all, they don't do it much. Um, you know, they're hitting dummies. Um, you know, they've got, they, they, they wear the helmet pads, you know, on, on outside their helmets. So, so they're able to do things like that, but they just don't have the opportunity. And, you know, in the old, old days, if you had a bad day tackling, the coaches would scrimmage it for half an hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you would tackle better. Right. It was just part of it. Right. It wasn't so much that you didn't know how to tackle. It was the, the attitude you need to tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, the de- devotion to tackling correctly, the devotion to coming out and putting, getting your feet in the right place, not diving at people. I mean, how many guys in the last few weeks have you seen just basically flying through the air to yeah. take somebody's legs out? It doesn't work that way. You gotta, you gotta stand up and hit somebody, and probably um, it, it'll hurt a little more than you want, but you've got to do it to make the play. Particularly the people in the secondary. Last couple of things with Steve Priest. We're going to visit with Brian Howell from the Buff Zone and get his perspective in a few minutes, but. What are the Beavers up against from what you've watched from Shador and that offense in terms of the kind of challenge you're going to face Saturday night? Well, Shador is an amazing quarterback. There's absolutely no question. And uh, offensively, this is a really good team. One weakness, their offensive line. Um, they, they haven't got the kind of guys Shador gets sacked a lot. Um, and the Beavers have simply they've got to get in, in my opinion, six, seven times this game to, to beat this Colorado team and stop him a little bit. He's going he's gonna to get 250 to 300 yards for sure. I don't doubt that. But just so he doesn't get 400 like Cam Moore did. Um, that's, that's what we have to do with him. Um, he is their, their offense. They've got some people out there who can really catch the football. Um, if, if Hunter's back and I'm not sure what the final last word is on him, whether he's in or out, 
Um, but he's a, a marvelous talent on offense and defense. But they've got people who can play. They've got running backs. They've got everything they need on, on the offensive skill positions. They just need some, some help and some maturity uh, time-wise to, to get people developed on the offensive line. Um, the Beavs are going to have to come out and, and, as I said, put pressure on him. In order to do that, they're going to have to play some man-to-man that John suggested. And I think if they don't, they're going to have um, a quarterback to, who can, is going to complete 30 or 40 passes. And then the, what you've seen from Colorado defensively, I thought they took the ball away four times. UCLA contributed, but they hit hard. They played hard. They played fast. Yep. But, you know, what, what, what kind of approach do you expect the Beavs to have on offense against what you've seen from Colorado? Well, I, I think that, that Oregon State is going to go back a little more, partially because of what one of you said earlier that, that have the Beavs been running it enough? Um, should they run more? We lost, we've lost a couple of games when we didn't run it quite as much as we wanted. You know, we got down uh, Washington State and started throwing the ball more. And I think we got to go back to who we are, and that's running the football a little more. We haven't been anywhere all season where we have been in other years under Jonathan. You know, we've always been closer to 60% than 50, I believe. Um, and now we're down in the, you know, almost 50, 50. Um, and, and that probably is, is something that, um, we are now solid enough, particularly at tight ends where we're playing two and three guys to use a little more. Our tight, everybody's catching the ball. It's, it's, you know, as an offensive coordinator, it's gotta be hard because you've got an offensive running game that is incredibly good. But you happen to have three or four of the most exciting receivers in the Pacific, in the Pacific 12. I mean, if, you, if I could give the ball to Aunt Gould and Silas, every, and, and mm-hmm. I would give it to them every ball, every play. Right. I mean, they're, they're phenomenal. They can score any time you get the ball. You, you think, okay, what do I throw them? A quick mm-hmm. screen this time or mm-hmm. a, a reverse or, my gosh, throw them the football. They catch everything. Capense, understand. Hanson has done a marvelous job coaching these receivers, and they're getting deeper. And the young guys are coming along, and and I I think you guys have probably noticed that the young guys we got some good size coming in finally. Yeah. Um, and so there'll be guys to, to aid this as it goes on, and that the ones that are there, they're the third and fourth guy are, are really you know besides Irish, there's some young guys coming along too, and and we're solid out there. So I I think offensively it's it's uh, Maybe they got too much going right now. Maybe they have to decide: Am I going to go back and be a little more conservative and try to do some things, or am I going to keep throwing downfield? They, they believe. I know from watching them um, that that they believe that they need to throw the football um, and it to be really successful. And I, I caution everyone to want you know, the, it, the scary thought to me is lining up in two and three tight ends all the time so that the defense has very little field to cover. Um, I feel like the running game works best for us when we're spread out. Um, I, I really do creating your own space by just your alignments to me is easier than, than getting too solid with tight ends. I think the two tight ends, three tight end situation is something you use when you need to, when you want to at your discretion but that you don't make it a steady habit. Bigger splits? I keep yelling at the TV, we need bigger splits in the running game. You know, I, I can remember when Coach Andros used to make guys, they were, we were farther apart than we were close together <laughs> on the offensive <laughs> line. 
you wondered when a middle linebacker was going to come running through and kill somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Steve, it is uh, always a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you for making time for us today. It was great to see you in Tucson. and oh, we, my pleasure. We look forward to seeing you next week uh, back at Research Stadium with Stanford coming to town. Thanks for making time, Absolutely. Steve, and we'll talk soon. we got to be 7-1 and one at that time, or 7-2 at yeah. that time. Yeah, yes, we do. All That's right. Great. Thank you, Steve. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> He's right about that. Yeah. Coming up next, I, I want to talk to, we're going to talk to Brian Howell, has covered Colorado football since 2010, so he's seen a lot of things. <laughs> I'm going to go do some things. He's seen the depths, the peak, very short. And what has he seen now? They're a four and four football team, but the most watched football team in America by far. Yep. So the guy who's watched just about everything through all these years joins us next. He's Brian Howell from the Buff Zone. And I want to get his thoughts about Dion, who met, you know, so Steve says they've got a weakness in the O line. Dion said at his press availability this week, Coach Prime, quote, that he, quote, I, I had, quote, a private personal meeting with the O-line, and it was phenomenal. And you're going to see a more cohesive, more aggressive, more physical, more prepared group than ever before this weekend. I really do believe that. Now, the Prime effect has been phenomenal. Big picture in Colorado, merchandise sales up 505%, season tickets, more eyeballs on television. Can he get together in an O-line meeting and can all of that come true this weekend? You're going to see a more cohesive, more aggressive, more physical, more prepared group than ever before that against like, the Beavers. That sounds like D. Well, it worries me a little bit. That, that, you know, that well, the, the soundbite we had, we've been playing for 30 years. About years. how we need you. Well, and I'll tell you what, it's only Monday, and my gut's hurting. <laughs> that fiery speech to that uh, uh, fan base group on a Monday of Civil War yeah. Week, and they, they lost. By 27. Yeah. Let's come back. I know, I know. We're coming back with Brian Howell next on the Joe Beaver Show. Also, I had a private personal meeting with the whole offensive line, and the meeting was phenomenal. I have uh, the utmost thought process that those guys are going to step it up tremendously, and you're going to see a more cohesive, more aggressive, more physical, more prepared group than ever before this weekend. There have been uh, people who've doubted Dion at their peril, and mm-hmm. he's reminded people mm-hmm. who have, and collecting receipts and so on. It's been a phenomenal year to be part of a conference that he is part of. Yeah. So part of me gets nervous here in Beaver Nation about him saying that, and I'm sure the motivational talk and a phenomenal meeting, he called it. So you're going to see a more cohesive, more aggressive, more physical, more prepared group than mm-hmm. ever before this weekend. Just when you think, hey, if the Beavs can come into Boulder and have – Take advantage of some vulnerabilities, susceptibilities on the part of that old line. Uh-oh, Dion's gotten to that group. And i it's a means of a way of bringing in our next guest that we are honored to have on the show again. He's been with us through all the years, covering Colorado football since he has, since 2010. From the Buff Zone, Brian Howell joins us. Brian, great to have you on. We brought you in. You heard you were there when Dion made those comments is the prime effect such that what he just said, could that be true Saturday night, that all the things he said you're going to see, we could see from the old line? <laughs> it better be, because <laughs> it was not uh, very good on Saturday. Right. Um, also, also this, when he says you're going to see a more cohesive, more together group, it couldn't be, uh, <laughs> I mean, it has to be, because uh, that was hard to watch on yeah. Saturday at UCLA, and 
the, the offensive line has not been very good uh, most of the year. But you know, against those uh, rushers from UCLA, that was a horrible matchup, and uh, Shador is just getting killed. And so um, we'll see. I mean, that group has to step up if this team's going to make any kind of run at a bowl game and, and win two more games, let alone one. Was that, Brian, any way of Dion responding to it? Would he have had this meeting with the O-line anyway? He's gotten a little flack or pushback in critics. He's had them all year for different things. But for calling out the O-line after the game Saturday and saying, we need to go get new linemen, was that his way of kind of saying, hey, I put my arms around our current guys? I would assume so. Um, I'm not sure if the meeting happened without those other comments mm-hmm. <laughs> right after the game. Um, I, clearly, that group had to get better. Um, but after the game, it was probably, you know, some tough love. And then, uh, you know, the meeting there was probably put your arm around those guys and, and, hey, we still need you. And maybe it was that realization afterwards. He's like, all right, we do need, board, we need, we need new linemen, but we still got four games to play, so I better love these guys up a little bit. Um, There's probably maybe some real, realization of that. But uh, they need them. I mean, they, like I said, they've got to play better um, down the stretch if this team's going to win games. Brian, what a whirlwind offseason you have been a part of. I mean, I, I think back to, you know, at one point just a few months ago, you're, you're still a part of the Pac-9, or Pac-10, actually. Uh, you're still part of that. Everything's looking pretty good there. You've got Coach Prime in, which he came in last winter, all of that, and then whatever is going on in the offseason with, with, uh, with Coach Prime. And then everything goes down on August 3rd, or is it August 4th? I can't remember. And and now here we are. Oh, and then the, the beginning of the season and the, and the receipts and the hype at the beginning, and now it's kind of settling it in. What has it been like for you? What, how different is it from the beginning of the year till now? Are you guys getting into kind of a rut and you get to know uh, uh, Dion, or, or is it still kind of you, you jumping and looking over your shoulder constantly? Yeah, it, it has been a whirlwind, and you know I, I tell people this a lot, but I think back to their last road game was uh, at Washington last year, and the post-game press conference, uh, it was me. It was literally just me and the head coach and a receiver, um, and that was it. And you know, then you, go, you fast forward to this year, and uh, you know, every road game there's you know, a dozen people at least that are traveling with this team, and it's standing room only for some press conferences. And so that in itself has been quite a change. But then, yeah, when you have a head coach like this that is also a celebrity – um, it's just way different, and, and you don't get to know him, you know, like you do some of the other coaches I've had in the past. And um, he doesn't uh, give us a lot of the players a whole lot, so I don't know the players as well as I have in the past. But um, certainly the football has been better, and uh, it's been, you know, nothing short of entertaining. And <laughs> you know, you never know what's going to happen next. And you got to watch a lot of YouTube also to cover this team. <laughs> yeah, is there a sense of him knowing you as being a guy that's always there every day? Yeah, and he, he knows me, and I think one of the best things I did uh, was uh, after he was named the head coach, he went and still coached the Celebration Bowl at Jackson State down in Atlanta, and I went down there and covered that game. Uh, Jackson State gave me some little inside access uh, you know, the day before the game, and I actually got to meet with him in his hotel room. He just wanted to meet without recorders, and we sat and chatted for a half hour, 45 minutes or so. And so he got to know me a little bit there. And I think that that's helped. And, and clearly every time he's spoken to the media, you know, I'm right there in the front. So I think that helps. He knows who I am. But, um, you know, he's also, you know, Deion Sanders. And he's, uh, <laughs> you yeah. know, he's going to focus on his team and, and what the business deals he's got and things like that more so than any of us in the room. 
Brian Howell from the Bump Zone, our guest. Brian, I wonder, this doesn't happen to, to writers very often, maybe even professional longtime broadcasters, but did you, when you were learning, as John talked to you about the offseason, that you go from what you told us in Seattle to everything that's gone on, and Deion Sanders is now your head coach and a guy you're going to be covering and working with, so to speak. Did you have a moment where you had to make sure that uh, being a fan and an admirer of his, perhaps, I mean, did, it, were you, did you have some moments of, oh, my gosh, this is pretty cool, or do you, have you been able to maintain a professional level of objectivity through it all? Yeah, I think I've, been, I've done it long enough that I've been able to maintain that, but um, I did grow up, I mean, I was a Braves and Yankees fan, yeah. and I liked the Broncos and Cowboys, and, you know, <laughs> he played for three of those four teams. And so I think my, my biggest moment like that was really the introductory press conference when it was such a surreal event because he had alumni and boosters there, and um, it felt like a party. And every time he would make a joke, um, people would laugh, and I felt like it Am I in the studio audience of a sitcom here, or you know, what's going on? And um, I, I do remember sitting there at one point. Uh, he's standing there talking at that introductory press conference. I'm like, Deion freaking Sanders is the head coach of the football team. <laughs> like, what's going on here? But you know, really, once you get past that, you kind of settle into, you know, you talk football with him, and you know, it's when you talk football with him and things like that. He's, he's pretty much like every. Okay, last question on non-football stuff, because I'm curious to know if just being around, standing in a room or a hotel lobby, anything like that, have you come within a few feet or even meeting big-time celebrities who are <laughs> hanging, con- around. hanging around and connected with, with Dion? Have I? Yeah. You were saying that a little bit, but yeah, there's been a lot of people around. I mean, you know more so the athletes and the celebrities and, you know, Terrell Owens. And uh, there's times that we're just out, outside the facility. It's like, oh, there's Warren Sapp standing right there. And, mm-hmm. you know, last week it was, oh, there's Michael Vick, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more things like that. And, you know, pregame one game it was, um, you know, C.C. Sabathie was there. And then I look up and Kevin Garnett standing right next to me and Paul Pierce and, you know, guys like that. And it's like, it's just, it's crazy. But one of the biggest moments was really, uh, I wasn't close to this guy, but uh, their game against Colorado State, um, I'm kind of filming Ralphie running on the field and all that and kind of keep filming a little bit. And I hear some music going, and um, you turn the camera off, and then I look down in the end zone, and Little Wayne is performing as the team's running out. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, Little, Little Wayne is rapping right now as the team runs on the field. And, you know, that was kind of a surreal moment. Brian Howell joining us, and John and I were talking about you know what you've seen and covered since covering this program intensively since 2010. It, I mean, this is just off the charts. That I, I can't believe when you describe the contrast between the end of last year to now and what you're experiencing. It was immediate. The impact. I remember being there for a basketball game that I called for the Beavers against Colorado and walking some downtown streets and a father and a son and the son saying, "Dad, can we go get a prime?" hoodie or something. And that was in January or whenever that was merchandise sales, viewership of games. Has it even taken you, or did you think it was going to be as big as it's gotten? No, it's bigger than I thought. I I think it's bigger than you thought, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's insane. I mean, it it does go back to even December where, you know, I remember I'm at a men's basketball game and he showed up and the place just, you know, the game was already going on and, you know, he showed up late and then left early, but when he walked in the arena with, you know, Shador was there as well. And, 
you know, his, his son's filming things. But the arena, just the buzz, the game's going on, you know, and nobody's paying attention <laughs> to the game anymore. And they're all watching Dion, you know, walk to a seat and things like that. And, but yeah, it, it's crazy when you see the, the viewership numbers. And I think I've seen more people um, on airplanes as I travel the games wearing CU stuff uh, than I have in the previous eight, 10 years combined to the point that almost every flight attendant on a, on a plane now um, gives a skull bus after they finish their announcements because there's so many buff bands on the plane. Mm-hmm. So they know they're catering to the to half of a plane of buff bands. So um, it's, it's crazy. Brian, the, the hype and the, the celebrity and everything that started out and everybody was all on ESPN, I think it was Mark Jones, well, do you believe now? It was a ridiculous statement at the end of one of the games. I think it was the Colorado State game. Anyway, with all that hype and everything going, but now the losses are piling up. Do you see a difference in Coach Prime, in the program, or do you feel like there's a mainstay there? I saw recently he, he was quoted as saying he really likes this, almost like he's surprised. Like, oh, I really like this. I think I might hang around kind of a type of a quote. And I thought, well... Yeah, maybe he thought he was going to come in here, win one season, and go somewhere else. But it almost sounds like he's like, no, I think I want to stick around here for a while. But do you see it weighing on him more than perhaps it would anybody else? Because it is a rebuild. I, I do think that, I, I don't know, this is my speculation, but just in watching him and listening to him and listening to Shador, um, I think that this challenge has been more than they thought it was going to be. I thought that, I think they believe they were going to win more than they are and that they would. Uh, maybe not dominate the Pac-12, but um, not have things like the Stanford game happen, and not have uh, you know UCLA just kind of destroy them up front like they did. And, um, I think they thought they would be better, and that uh, this re- rebuild is more um, intense than they thought it was going to be. And um, you see a little bit of change in him, and that you know he talks he talks about dominating and winning and all those things. And you know now now do you believe? So now it's you know hey get us now. He said after the Oregon game get us now because this is as bad as we're going to be, meaning this year. And uh, it's kind of that realization that, like, yeah, you know, we got a tougher challenge ahead of us, but watch out next year. Brian Hal joining us for a few more minutes. Brian, among any sort of dissenters or naysayers or people saying this and that about it's not good for college football, the, the, all the new people sending, running kids off, all of that, taking advantage of an NCAA bylaw to do that. Has what what in your view has any of that was that unfair completely in the main? Is there any part of anybody that isn't fully on board with what's happening in the phenomenon of prime at Boulder that you do say okay that that's a good point or they're maybe right about that even they you may have even a tincture of skepticism about the long term way of building a program the way he has. Well, I think the thing is it's it's hard to see all that when it initially happens and especially when you get to know all these kids. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, young men that uh, were on the team that are no longer here that mm-hmm. I got to know pretty well. But, you, know, you feel bad for because you know they, they still want to be here. Um, but the bottom line is the game has changed. And when, when I look at it and, and see the players have fought for NIL and the transfer portal uh, changes and all that stuff, like the players have fought for these things to where it's more of a business than it ever has been. And, and this is kind of the downside of that. And, you know, the bottom line is Deion Sanders is brought in here to change the football program and win football games, and he's going to do it the best way he knows how, and this is it. And um, you look at the roster, it's hard to argue. It's not the best roster around, but it's much better. 
And it's hard to argue with what he's done when you see the dramatic improvement they've made since last year. Yeah. Final thing, John said back to put the game itself, the matchup itself, it, it becomes quite intriguing. It's, I mean, any game right now involving the Buffaloes is that. How do you see it, Brian? Where, When you look at Oregon State, if you've seen enough of the Beavers to have a feel for what might unfold Saturday night at Folsom Field. Yeah, I think it's a tough matchup for the Buffs and that their weakness is the trenches. And I think that's Oregon State's strength. And, you know, you guys know that. I mean, they run the football and they play tough defense. And, um, you know, those are teams that's sort of what UCLA is right now. And we saw what happened last week. And uh, I think that's a tough matchup for the Buffs. But I do think it helps that they're at home. I'm curious to see what his little pep talk to the offensive line does uh, to that group. And, and, to me, their quarterback, Shador Sanders, is way too good to keep losing games and, mm-hmm. and to lose out. I think that they're, he's good enough to, to steal games. And that being at home and uh, having some of those weapons that he has, I think they got a good shot in any time, any game they play at home. I think they got a good shot this weekend. But um, I think it's going to be a good football game. What, what, what kind of weather are you expecting on Saturday night? I haven't even looked. Okay. Yeah. I, I think it's good. I, I haven't heard anything about snow. Okay. I'll just put it that way. Hey, but, but cold. You mentioned Shador. My, my wife yeah. usually tells me if there's snow coming in. She hasn't said anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have somebody on the lookout for you. Uh, Shador Sanders has been phenomenal. Shiloh has been excellent, too. Except that, and I just wonder, Brian, I, it was a paywall, so I didn't get to read the full column, but I saw the headline from a columnist in the Denver Post, Sean Keeler, and the headline, Shiloh hurting team with viral hits, was sort of the upshot of it. He was ejected for targeting. You seem to take issue in what you originally wrote about that call. It struck me as being sort of a classic targeting call with a jarring helmet-to-helmet hit, whether the shoulder led or not. So I, we may disagree about that. But I wonder if Keeler's point, what your thought is about the way Shiloh plays, does it put his team in some jeopardy? I don't think so. I think that he's just a hard-hitting safety. And I think, you know, my initial thought when I first saw the play was, yeah, that's targeting. And then the more I watched it, I don't really think so. I think that um, the, the head moves from the UCLA player because of the how jarring the hit was. But um, I thought it was just a really good football play. And, um, uh, you know, those are the types of things that for years have been okay. And mm-hmm. the, I think now officials call those flags sometimes just because they look so vicious. And, mm-hmm. and they are vicious, but mm-hmm. they're not necessarily targeting. And you know, he had another one earlier in the game that uh, you know, hit the midsection of the running back and, and forced a fumble. And, uh, and you know, another one of those safeties had another hit like that as well. They forced two fumbles that way with two mm-hmm. just kind of vicious hits uh, that were legal hits. And um, I, you know, Shiloh said he's not going to change the way he plays. I don't think he should. I think he brings more than anything. He helps that team. Because he brings an attitude and and uh, and kind of a toughness to that defense that they need. Last thing is time is short, but Shador, you talked about forty-one sacks he's taken, and Dion even said, "I probably shouldn't be telling you this, but my son took an injection at halftime to keep playing." How is that played? That part of it, the the injection part of it, and the the pain that certainly as a father and coach, Dion has to feel for about and be concerned about. What are your thoughts about all of that? Yeah, I think that's probably part of his comments uh, about the offensive line the other day was uh, maybe thinking about his son a little bit. But that's got to be tough to see, not only you know as a coach but as, as a father, see your son take hits like that. And you know, um, but they've got to protect him. And one thing that Dion's doing this week is he's given Shador several days off this week um, to rest his body, and so we'll see if that helps. And 
because uh, they need him. Uh, you know, if they don't have anybody behind him. You know, no experience at all. Uh, so they've got to keep him healthy somehow. Brian, it is a, a pleasure to visit with you again. Thanks for making time for us in the whirlwind life of covering the Colorado Buffaloes in 2023. Thanks for making time for us. As always, we appreciate it. You bet. Anytime, guys. Thanks. Brian Howell from the Buff Zone as we wrap things up. Uh, I'm looking at this again. And there's just, I don't see how. How he can, could construe. How anyone could see that, think that it's not helmet to helmet. It is. It's crown of the helmet. Show it to me again. Now that You've I'm looking got it. at yeah, it. Spin it around. the face mask. Yeah. I, Let me see where I don't is. think the shoulder could cause that type of whip action. Well, it didn't. It was the helmet. You can see the helmet hitting the face yeah, mask. Yeah. So, so now we can argue yeah. what part of the helmet. I think CVB's wrong. I think any part of helmet on any part of helmet is targeting. Now the shoulder did hit and it yeah. was a big hit. And the, the intention may have not well, been yeah, for the helmet. Intent to hit, of course is never But it doesn't matter. The helmet did hit the face mask and And pretty jarringly so. Yeah. Okay, now they, okay, there's several views of it coming. And you know, and the thing is, he clearly he's going in with intent to hit like that. He's not trying even Dion himself said, I told my son you gotta tackle lower. Yeah. He just told him that. So even Dion himself, even though he called it horrendous at first glance, it's interesting. Brian Howell went the other way. He said, when I first saw it, I thought it was targeted. The more <laughs> I looked at it, the less. It was just the opposite for me. Right. The more you see it, the more, the more you just see that. In slow motion, it's, it's helmet to face mask. Yeah. And that's, by rule, targeting. Yeah. It's uh, hard to even say. He's a great player. And, and yeah, Brian's, point, Brian's point about the other hard hits caused fumbles. That's going to be a team that, as you pointed out in another soundbite, getting ready for Oregon State, that Colorado is going to place an emphasis on being more physical, et cetera, with the O-line and more cohesive and more prepared and more aggressive than ever before. So everything's tough, and it's just gotten tougher. (laughs) Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you tomorrow.